Okay, so, um, so today's daf is Lamed Hay, 35. We pick up at the Mishnah at the bottom of Lamed Al and Lamed Bet. We just had the whole discussion about um, how many uh, Hadassim, how many are remote. Um It's uh, worth mentioning uh, two things, I should say, before we continue, which is, number one, that there was a, a practice um, uh, at the time that we showed him, and even until today, of taking... Um, um, many more than the minimum number of uh, hadassim, sometimes also of arafot. Um, and the question is, how is that allowed? I mean, normally we say that if you do more than something, you are, it's a problem of baltosif. So if you look very briefly at uh, Tosfos, Tosfos says, Arve Nachoshtayim, Tosfos says, even if you have many, many hadassim in a ravos, it's not baltosif. Only if you put in something extraneous. And um, this clearly um, was uh, reflecting a, a widespread practice um, and um, coming up with some, you know, trying to explain why it was not a violation. One way of certainly of understanding it is, you know, is that the number of uh, three hadassim and two haravot are, um, are, is a minimum, not a maximum. And part of that could be understood because if the idea of it's like the primary thing is the lulav and the esrog, and those are singular, and the adasim and the ravos are the one things that are in the multiple, it seemed more of like as a bunch of adasim and a bunch of aravot, with two being just the minimum amount in the bunch. But still, if you conceptualize it more as a bunch, then the number is more of a minimum number, and therefore you can have even more, which might also explain why Rabbi Ishmael allows two to be cut off and one not to be cut off. Again, if you think of it more less as the individual unit and more of a bunch, something like that um, makes a little bit more sense. Um, okay. Um, so I guess we'll end with that. Let's go on now and go to the next Mishnah. Um, let's take a look. Um, right. Okay, so the Mishnah says the following. Esrog hagazuva hayavesh. If you have a stolen or dried up esrog, pasul, it's invalid. Um, if it's of a Asherah worshipped tree or mm-hmm. a city that is condemned Pasul is invalid so, so far it's just like the beginning of all the other Mishnayot um, now here we get to some things that are unique to Esra if it's Orla if it's within the first three years so then it's going to be invalid we'll see but obviously it cannot be eaten then and we're going to see in the Gemara that an Esra has to be able to be eaten in order to be you know have the possibility of the in order to be kosher. We'll see why in the Gemara. So Trumatmeya Pasul, if it's Trumatmeya, which also cannot be eaten, then it's invalid. So Trumatahura, if it's Tahor Truma, which can be eaten at least by Kohanim, Lo Yitel don't take, the Natal Kasher. And if you took it, it would be kosher. Um, so we'll see why the Chatzchila you shouldn't take it. Shel Demai, how about Demai, which is uh, taken from the Ameya Aretz, which uh, biblically you could assume is okay, but rabbinically they required you to take Meiser and Trumas Meiser. The one thing you didn't have to take was Truma, that you could assume that the Ameya Aretz took. So what's the story there? There it's not edible until you do you do the taking, but the the uh, of Trumas and Meiser, but that's only rabbinic. So there, Beit Shammai says it's invalid, or Beit Machshirim, Beit Shil says it's kosher. Presumably, it's obvious that teva would not be valid because it could not be eaten, at least not in that state. Okay. 
Let's say you have something that could be eaten, but it's uh, not really totally being able to eat at your discretion. It's Meister Shani, which has to be eaten in Yerushalayim, and you are in Yerushalayim, so it is able to be eaten. So what's the story? So, lo yitel, similar halacha, don't take it, we'll see why. But if you did take it, it's okay, because again, it's able to be eaten. So once again, we see this idea that it has to be able to have the potential of being eaten. Uh, yeah, Charlie? Uh, fourth year Orla? Fourth year Orla, you it's mean Netheravai? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, presumably, that's a good point why it's not mentioned, especially since we're talking about uh, fruit. And so, Meister Shaney, which has a similar... Right, so presumably it would be the same. It's a good point. Um, okay. Also, Chazazi Rubo, if there are like warts on the majority of the esrog, or natal pitamto, if the if the pitam is removed, which is like the little sort of you know we all know what the pitam is. It's mm-hmm. at the uh, it's a little stick in the bulb at the top, like a little mushroom cloud at the top. So then, or niklaf, if it's been peeled, nistak cracked, nikam the chaser kol shehu, if it has a hole and a little bit is missing as a result of the hole. That's one thing. Pasul, in all those cases, invalid. <coughs> if, however, there's a wart on a minority of it, if the uh, stem <coughs> has been removed, not the pitam. Nika culture where it has a hole, but it's n- nothing is met missing as a result of the hole. You like put a pin in it and nothing actually came away. In that case, kasher, it is kosher. So that's like the flip side of the first list. So we move from these the first the general list then to the issues about being able to eat it and then to these aesthetic points now um um kushi pasul if a if an esrog is black it is invalid if it's as green as a leaf Rabbi Meir says it's kosher Rabbi Yehuda says it's invalid some of this was quoted in an earlier Gemara Shir Esrog Katan, the size of the smallest Esrog, Remeir Omer Ke Egoz, Rebut Omer Kebeza, the size of a nut or the size of an egg. Ubegadol, how big is the maximum size? Today, Shiochu Shnaim Biado. Rebut Omer says it has to, can't be so, it, it, it can't be so big that you can't hold two in one hand. You have to be able to hold two in a hand. Rebiosi Omer, Rebiosi says, a few Echad Bishayadav, no, it could be huge even if it takes two hands to hold one. So we saw in an earlier Gemara that these debates at the end about the color and the size are not necessarily debates about aesthetics, about Hadar. They could be debates about um, whether it's considered Gemar Peira. Peiri is it considered like the fruit is ripe and full and complete. Um, and the issue about the size, that it can't be too big, might be just an issue about a concern of dropping it. So it's possible to read all of these as aesthetics, possible to read them as other types of concerns. Okay, now we pick up with the Gemara at the top of Lamed Hambala. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, okay. Um, right. All right, so the Gemara says like this. Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi taught. Priye Tadar, a fruit of a beautiful tree, so again, we're reading the pre and the eighth, the juxtaposition of the two. It has to be like, it's almost like, you know, that medrash, a bracious, where God says, so say ha'aretz, what is it, eight pre, ose pre. So eight pre, the fruit, the, 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 the tree itself has to be fruit, has to taste like fruit. And then, of course, the land didn't listen, and it just took, and it had it that the fruit had to taste, but not the tree. So here, too, pre-8, 
it's literally the fruit of a tree, but it's also reading like as an eighth pre, like the, the, the tree itself has to taste like the fruit. Eighth, chetamitso pure yoshaven. Eighth, that, a, a tree that even the wood has something of the taste of the fruit. Heavy Omer is the esrog. That's an esrog. I don't know. I've never tried it. But who, okay? I don't think it means necessarily di- digestible. No, I never chewed the bark. How about you? Or the twig. I don't assume it means it's digestible, but anyway, it has something of that taste. The ema piopolin, maybe pepper. Okay, apparently pepper, the bark, the vine, actually I looked this <coughs> up. So pepper is a, uh, is a perennial vine. It's like a woody vine. Okay, the where we get our peppercorn from. So apparently the vine itself has some type of a peppery taste. Kitatanya. Now how do I know that? Because we turn in the Brisa. Hi Rebbe Mayor Omer. Mimash, Moshenemar. Since the verse says, Now by Arla, Unitatem co-eats, you shall plant any tree. Any of those who eats machal. Obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, tree that provo- provides food because then it speaks about the fruit of the tree this is, this is a verse about Arla so the later thing speaks about you can't eat the fruit so why does it have to describe it as an eighth ma'achal a food tree so why does the Torah go out of its way to call it a food tree um, where am I um, to tell me that even the food the, 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 the uh, tree is something of a, of a food that the tree itself tastes like the fruit. Okay, and what is that? Heavy Omer. So which tree is this that the, that the bark itself has some of the taste of the fruit? The poplin, that's a pepper vine. And the reason that the Torah goes out of its way to talk about a pepper vine here, or to hint to a pepper vine, is to teach you that even peppers are obligated in Arla. That you should not think that they're not fruit, right? They grow from a vine. Maybe they wouldn't be considered fruit. It is a vine that lasts for at least two years. So, number one, to teach you their fruit. Number two, as Tosa says, since most people don't eat peppers, we're talking about peppercorn, not what we call bell peppers. Since most people don't eat peppers straight, you might say that they don't constitute a fruit, even though they're a spice. But apparently they are edible before they get, uh, you know, while they're still moist, before they get hardened. So anyway, so the Torah is telling you that this thing is a tree, it is food, and it is chayv and orlov. And the other thing it's telling you is that the land of Israel isn't lacking of anything. It even has peppercorn. As the verse says, you won't lack anything in the land of Israel. So even peppercorn. Okay, so anyway, what do you see? You see from that Midrash Halacha that it understands that peppers are, taste like the fruit. Um, that the uh, that the tree tastes like the fruit, so maybe that's what an esrog is. So the Gemara says, no, Mishum Delo Esrog couldn't be that. That's what the Torah wants us to do. That's impossible. Why is that impossible? Hey what do you want us to do? Ninkot take one peppercorn. Lo that would not be obvious that you're taking anything. And it says, you know, it says Presumably, it has to be somewhat visible or evident what you're doing. Ninkot Take two or three. I got to tell you, I don't know how two or three peppercorns is any more obvious than one. But okay, maybe at least it's more obvious to you that you're there. Anyway, amarachmana. So echad amarachmana. Pre echad amarachmana. It says one fruit. Not two or three. Therefore, it can't be. So this is um, again this idea as we've seen by almost all of the arba minim that the Torah cites you, uh, except for Arve Nacha, where it was a little bit more explicit, where the Torah, where the Gemara tries to show how we can derive from these more descriptive words 
how we can derive exactly what we identify as the species of the lulav. And again, I'll repeat to you what the Rambam says. What the Rambam says, it's all, it's hard to imagine that uh, we really didn't know and somehow it was just these drashot that led us onto the right food. Because as you see in the Gemara, it's vague enough, there's other possibilities. And the Rambam says we always knew by tradition what these were and the Gemara is just sort of retrofitting it. Um, that's the Rambam's read of this Gemara um, and it does deal with the problem about how did you really get from this verse to something that is exactly this given there, there should have been could have theoretically been a lot of other possibilities but one minute but right now the one drush that we have said is that it tastes like the tree um, the tree tastes like the fruit and that is the essence yes you know, we distinguish between fruit and vegetables in a Yes, I didn't want to get into that. That is true. Meaning, what is the halachic different, distinct categorization of fruits and vegetables? I mean, you are right that, like this, first of all, just for us, there's a difference between botanically and sort of uh, vernacular, right? Botanically, it has to do with the fact that there are. Um, are the seeds contained, you know, within it or something, which means that like a cucumber and a tomato is a fruit. Um, um, and, but uh, in the vernacular, I think we tend to identify the sweet things as fruits more and the, uh, and the, more, <laughs> and the more blander things as vegetables or I don't know, some type of distinction like that. Halachically, yeah, there's questions about orla, there's questions about brachot, one classic definition is whether the, um, the bark, la- the uh, trunk from which it grows, lasts from year to year or not. Um, so that's one um, major distinguishing category. So, yes, but uh, so that is an important question in areas of halacha. What exactly are the distinct ways of categorizing? Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. So that's one definition, which is it tastes, the tree tastes like the fruit. Um, Rebbe Omer, Rebbe says, Altikri Hadar, don't read it as beautiful, Ella Hadir, like the um, pen, like a pen for a uh, sheep. The same way a pen of sheep, you have older sheep and young and newborn sheep. One's perfect and one's very blemished. You take a look at an astrog and you've got big ones and small ones and perfect ones and blemished ones, right? Because you have really very bizarre shaped astrogim and very different types of shaped astrogim. Um, so the Mark says one minute. You tell me other fruits. You don't go look at a tree. You don't have big. You don't have ones that are more developed, ones that are smaller developed, ones that are more perfect, ones that are less perfect. So the Gemara says, "Fine." This was the point of the drasha. It doesn't just mean that you have big and small ones from the same year. It means that while they're still the older ones from last year, new ones are already now blossoming. So that by an road you have the tree can last on. The fruit can last on the tree for multiple years. And that's what it means by big and old. It means last year's Israel and this year's Israel are on the tree at the same time. And that's the idea of deer. Okay, so now we're going to have a drusha that maybe says the same point a little bit more straightforwardly. Um, so the Gemara says like this. Don't read beautiful, Ella Hadar, which dwells. 
Tavar Sedar Mishana Something that dwells on the tree from year to year, which is similarly to the point of Rebbe, except using a different understanding of the word dar, to dwell, as opposed to a deer like a pen of animals. It is worth pointing out about Rebbe some of the interesting associations, talking about this like, uh, you know, this like pen of sheep, because this is now the second time that we've had an association of Lubav with Korbanot. The opening of the sugya was, right, the Vevesim Gazu Vesapiseach. We learned the idea of Mitzvah Babi Aver from Sukim about bringing Korbanot and not bringing Korbanot from stolen, having a stolen Korban. And here the idea of talking about a pen of sheep, right? And what do you do with sheep religiously? You bring it as a Korban. And if that wasn't obvious, then it says, Tmimimu Baalei Mumim, right? Which is a phrase that's only used by a Korban, right? Unblemished and blemished. So that's a quite interesting idea about the association here with the Arba Minim um, with Korbanot. And particularly by the Esrog, I would say it's probably the one thing in our religious life which we sort of treat like we would do the whole inspection of blemishes that they used to do in the Beitatik Taj, right? So, I mean, we try a little bit with the Lulam and a little bit with the Hadith, but it's really with the Esrog, if you're certainly some people with a magnifying glass and looking for those tiny spots. So it's interesting to think about how that becomes then a type of a, you know, pseudo um, Korban. What exactly is the association in terms of Sukkot with that? I mean, to the degree that you associate the Sukkot with the building of the Mishkan, which some do because the timing sort of works out. And again, issues we've spoken about before about Ananei Kavod and you're like, you know, the sense of God's presence in the Sukkah. So that whole period, you know, has that more Mikdash, could have that more Mikdash association. We're also right at the heels of Yom Kippur, which is obviously going Lifnai Lifni in the Beit HaMikdash. Anyway, it is interesting thinking about that implicit association in Rebbe's statement. A huge number of well, that's also true. I didn't think about that. You're right. 70, the 70 uh, uh, oxen and right. That's a very good point. This uh, disagreement between Rebbe and Rebbe Adel is another indication of things like of, uh, you know what the answer is going to be. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's not how we get that answer. We don't read the year, we read the stuff. Ah, right. Same, same point, exactly. We're all, we're, all, we're all working towards the same answer. Um, okay. So the Gemara says like this, Ben Azayomer, Altikri Hadar, don't read the Hadar, Ella Hadur or Idur, Shekem Belashin Yivani Karim Lamayim Idur. In Greek, now we're using Greek to explain the word, the word for water is Idur, so, and therefore an Esrog is described as a water tree. The Ezus Deshegadalakomayim, and what type of a tree is one that grows, can grow on all types of water, meaning irrigated and rainwater and so on? Heviomer Ze Etrog, it's an Esrog, which is interesting because I, you know, I assume an Esrog is more of like of a Mediterranean, a tropical type of a plant, which I assume means it needs a lot of water. Gedelim um, usually doesn't mean that it needs a lot of water, usually means that it can manage in a lot of different water situations. Um, but maybe it does mean, I don't know, maybe for this it means that it needs a lot of water. Um, and by the way, I looked it up. The word for Greek, is, the Greek word for water was sounded, not, at least modern Greek, sounded nothing like idur. I don't know about classical Greek, but it sounded something like, I don't know. Steinsel says it's related to uh, hedor. Hedor, what do you mean? As in, as in hydraulic. Oh, hydraulic. Yeah, Hydro. The H in modern Greek often is not spelled out. Oh, so uh, hydro. Because the word for water in ancient, in, 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 in uh, contemporary Greek is Nero, or Nero, or something. But that's a good point. Hydro. Modern, modern Greek words are often completely different. From oh, that's a good point. I don't want to think about that. You're right. Hydro. That works very nicely. I will say again what Rambam Alator says. Rambam Alator makes a very nice point. He says, the word esro, he says, he points out that the Aramaic word for uh, beautiful is mirage. 
and therefore etrog he said the, the word he, he speculates maybe, maybe is an Aramaic word and really means beautiful um, and that actually creates Hadar rather than being descriptive could be actually seen as that is the name the name of it is etrog the name is beautiful you know as I pointed out like we have fruit called passion fruit you know or how about an orange an orange is not just the color it's the name of the fruit so he actually says Hadar beautiful and etrog might be essentially the same word so that's the way the Ramban tries to suggest that that, that the word Hadar means an etrog okay so now we've, that we've identified it we continue um, so now we're going to we haven't been analyzing this in the Hadas and the Arava because we did it by Bubulov but clearly now the Gemara is going to spend more time on the Esrog so we're sort of recapping some of the stuff that we did earlier so why Asher and Ir Nidachas is Pasul my time even to the since you have to burn it it's like it's already burnt up like there's no shear the fact that it has to be destroyed undermines its significance and therefore it cannot be considered um, it's no longer it can't be used for a mitzvah we did skip over gazul and again revisiting this question of whether it was an issue of ownership on the first day or whether it was a mitzvah babi avera on the other days now we look to the unique aspects of esrog and all of these halach, all of these requirements that it be able to be fit for being eaten Orla Pasul, if it's from Orla, it's invalid the first three years. My time, or what's the reason? Pligiba, Rebbe Chiyabar Avin, Rebbe Asi. So the debate of Rebbe Chiyabar Avin, Rebbe Asi. One says, because it's not able to be eaten. It, halachically, it is not permissible to be eaten. The other one says, because there's no monetary value to it, because it is asur bahana'ah. Arla, you're not allowed to derive benefit. So anything that you're not allowed to derive benefit is considered to be valueless. There is an interesting discussion in the Rishonim, since biblically you could derive benefit in an unnatural way, in an unusual way. Why is it saying that it really has no value? But that, the basic answer is that doesn't matter. Even if you could find a technical way to derive some benefit, since you're not supposed to derive any benefit, halachically it is considered to have, be valueless. So for example, it's a classic case of a man who marries a woman with something that is Arla. So it's, uh, she's not married because it's not considered to have a shrey pruta. It doesn't even have a penny's worth of value to it. So that's the reason. The reason is, and the way Rashi explains it, it ultimately goes back to the idea of lachem, yours. So therefore, it can't be considered yours if it is something that you have no right to derive benefit from and it has no value. So one emphasizes the issue of is there any monetary value to it? The other is whether you're allowed to eat it. Now, why should you have to have a requirement to be able to eat it? So Rashi and then Tosus following Rashi's lead both say that it's part of the same idea of lachem. It can't be considered yours if you can't have this type of basic benefit. Something that's a fruit, if you're not able to eat it, then to what degree can you really call it yours? And therefore it's a really lachem requirement. So according to Rashi, it's two variations of how you explain the idea of lachem. Lachem being able to get practical benefit, eat it, or lachem in a, in a sort of a, you know, much more accounting sense that it actually has some value. That's the way Rashi says it. Two variations of Lachem. According to that, it probably would only be invalid on the first day. The other days you don't need Lachem, it would be fine. Rambam in Perish Mishnayis has a much more creative explanation of why you need Heterachila. So, monetary value, that's based on Lachem. But Heterachila, Rambam says, is because it can't be called a fruit. 
right? The Torah says, Priye Sadar. How could you call something a fruit if you can't eat it? Okay? So, I mean, I guess you could. You could talk about poisonous berries, but the Torah wouldn't call it a fruit if it wasn't able to, even if what's preventing it from being eaten is physically it could be eaten. But it's halacha that's preventing it from being eaten. That would undermine its identity as fruit. So, according to that, if you can't eat it, it would be a problem for all seven days. It's not just the definition of ownership. Okay? And that's what the Raman says is the issue here of heterachila. So, let's take a look. So we are assuming, says the Gemara, the one that demands that it be fit to be eaten, would not require that you actually, that it actually have a monetary value. You have to own it, but it wouldn't need a monetary value. And if you demand a monetary value, you would not necessarily need to be able to eat it. Now, what are scenarios that you could have one without the other? So Rashi gives you the scenario. First of all, what we're going to get to in the Gemara is Meister Shani. Meister Shani in Yerushalayim, you're allowed to eat. You're a mitzvah to eat. But there's a position of Rebbe Meir that it's not yours. You're basically, it's God's. Like when Kohanim eat a korban, there's a mitzvah to eat it, but it's not their korban. So Rebbe Meir says the same is true about Meister Shani in Yerushalayim. It's not really yours, but you have a mitzvah to eat it. So that would be something you could eat that does not have a din mamon, does not have any monetary value. What type of a thing would have monetary value that you're not allowed to eat? So Rashi, I think, says tevel is the example because, you, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure Rashi says, um, yes, tevel. Because tevel has monetary value because once you take trumas and maestras, you'll be able to eat it. So nobody is giving away tevel. It's not worthless, okay? And therefore, tevel is something that, ha- what? Right, that's true. But you have to have one that works with an esrog. Uh, <laughs> but right, it would have to something that would be usher to be eaten, but would it be usher behana would also be a related point, and that's a good thing. It has a good point. As long as there's no isr hana, it has a monetary value. And even more so teva, which you'll be able to eat eventually. But right now, you're not able to eat it. So we're assuming, says the Gemara, that these are mutually exclusive categories, or, or that they're debating both points. One position only wants you to be able to eat it, does not care that it have any value, and the other position wants it to have value, does not care whether or not you're able to eat it. So now the Gemara is going to test that theory. Let's take a look. Tanan, we're talking our Mishnah. I know, Masa Shani has no value, but can't you be... No, the opposite. Money? What? Can't you bring your money for Masa Shani? Yes, but Masa Shani in Yerushalayim can be eaten right. by you. It's a mitzvah to be eaten, right. but it's not considered to be yours. So you're right. Their Din Mamon does not so much mean that it doesn't have value. It more means that it's, uh, in no way the, are you considered to be the, the, monetar- the owner of the it. Owner. Okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that is my says like this. So the Tanan, our Mishnah teaches... That if it's Trumatmea, you're not Yotze. Because Trumatmea, you are um, not allowed to eat. So, Bishleim is supposed to burn it. So, Pasul. If there's a requirement that you be able to eat it, stop you. Now we understand why you're not Yotze with Trumatmea. If the issue is not that you have to eat it, eat it, but it has to have some value and you have to be considered the monetary owner. So, am I? Why is Trumatmea not good? What, what do you do with Trumatmea? You can use it to burn to make firewood. So if you can make firewood out of your esrog, you are the owner. It does have value. It has permitted use. So why should it not be good if, you don't, if all you need is this idea of monetary ownership? So the Gemara says, Ella, you're right. Where were we? Ella, Behetra, Chilo, Kolei, Amalo, Pligi, Dabina. 
you're right. Everybody agrees it needs to be able to be eaten. In all the cases in our Mishnah, the problem was was that it couldn't be eaten. That's exactly the issue. You're right. And again, according to the Rambam, according to Rashi, that's an aspect of ownership by a fruit, by an ethrog that is necessary. It would, you wouldn't be considered the owner if you couldn't eat it. And according to Rambam, it's a basic definition of being able to call the ethrog a fruit. So everybody agrees you have to be able to eat it. And that's why the cases in our Mishnah are excluded. Key pleagi, what's the debate? Bedin mamon. Whether even if you are able to eat it, does it also have to be considered to be your money, your property? Marsavar hetarchila ba'inan. All you need, one, one person holds, all you need is to be able to be eat it, to eat it. Din mamon lo ba'inan. You don't need that aspect of it being considered your property. Umarsavar, the other one holds, din mamon namin ba'inan. No, you also need it. It's not enough to be able to eat it. You also need it to be able to be considered your property. So my benai, so what's a case that would be a difference? A case that would be able to be eaten, we need now, but that you are not considered to really be the technically the monetary owner of. That would be the difference. Is it enough to have heterachila? Everybody agrees that's necessary. Is that sufficient? Or do you also need the mamon? So what's the difference? So I already uh, told you this. Meister Shani in Yerushalayim, where there's a mitzvah to eat, so of course there's a heterachila, but maybe it's not considered yours. And Aliba, the Rebbe Meir, according to Rebbe Meir, who says that it's considered mamun gavoha, it's God's property that you're eating in Yerushalayim, not yours. Okay, Lamanda Amar, now again, because God's property doesn't mean somebody can come and steal it out of my house. You know, I still have the rights and control over it, but technically, it is not mine. It's like Kohanim eating the korbanos. So, Lamanda Amar, Lefisha Inbo, Hetarachila, if the only concern was you're, you're able to eat it, you're able to eat it, and you'd be Yotze. If the issue is that you're not, a, if that, in addition to being able to eat it, you have to be the owner of it, you would not be considered the owner, and therefore, according to Rebbe Meir, at least, you would not be Yodze. Now, our Mishnah, you might remember, says, you're Yodze with Maser Sheni in Yerushalayim. But fine, so that would be those that argue on Rebbe Meir and say that Maestro Shani Yerushalayim is considered your money, so our mission isn't going to be a problem, because there always is someone who says that Maestro Shani Yerushalayim is your property. But according to this, the argument would be at least according to Rebbe Meir, you would not be Yotze if you need not only the ability to eat it, but also for to be able to consider it your money. And let's just see how the Gemara now sort of concludes this point about who holds what. Tistayim, let us, um, let us conclude... Uh, where am I? Because we said it was a debate of Rabbi Asi and Rabbi, and Rabbi Chibar Avin, but we didn't know who said which. Let's prove that Rabbi Asi is the one that requires the Din Mamon, also the aspect of ownership. How should you prove that? Um, because Rabbi Asi says, Because he says exactly what we said. <laughs> that he says that according to Rabbi Meir, you're not Yotze with Meister Shani in Yerushalayim. But according to the Chachamim, which would be our Mishnah, you would, because they say Meister Shani in Yerushalayim is your money. But Rabbi Meir says it's God's money, would say you're not Yotze. That's a good proof. You see, according to Rabbi Asi, it is not enough to have the permission, the ability to eat it. You also need to be considered the monetary owner, and therefore, the one case that would be the difference would be Meister Shani in Yerushalayim, according to Rabbi Meir. Yes, sir. I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm not holding on to the requirement of Lachem. How can anybody argue again that you don't need to own it if the process is clearly... No, that's a good point. That's why I was trying to say before, not the issue of ownership per se, but the, and the Gemara doesn't say ownership, it says Din Mamon. So one aspect of Din Mamon is a question of like, of technically is it considered to have value. 
Okay, so for example, something that's Asr Bahana'ah, it might, so there's this, is a debate in the post in whether I'm considered the owner or not, let's say, but it doesn't have value. Just because it doesn't have value doesn't mean that you can come and take it out of my house. Right, if I have this Orla Asr Behana, right? So it's like a technical issue of to what degree am I considered to be the full owner, even though practically I do have control. It's true, it's considered like God money and not my money. On the other hand, if I come with my 2,000 crates of oranges in Jerusalem, you can say, oh, well, we pass them like Rebbe Mayer and then grab my crates of oranges away from me because it's not yours. Okay? Technically, I'm the one who, I, you know, I still am the one that has control. I'm still the one who has the, the mitzvah to eat it. It's just that, you know, in a, somehow in a technical sense, it's like considered God's and not mine. But again, in a practical sense, I'm still the owner. Okay. So, that's, but it is a good point. We are, nobody is saying like, oh, you could use somebody else's. Right? Here would be an interesting question. Right? If you go ahead and say to me, uh, you know, Rabbi Windsor, I'm allowing you to eat my esrog. Okay? Like, you know, when I say here, you can have an apple, you're, I, I, I welcome you to my house and I say here, have an apple. Right? I, I've given you this example before. Can you say, okay, thank you, and take the apple and leave? You know, maybe, but probably what I'm doing is I'm not giving you the apple as a gift. Right? I'm probably giving you the right to eat my apple. Okay? So let's say you said to me, here, you can eat my etzro. Because I say, oh, okay, so I have a hetero achila. Now I can use it on the first day yuntiv? No, because you're still the owner there. Right? So here we're dealing with a case where nobody else has competing ownership. I'm the only one that has the owner. But nevertheless, there's a technical issue about whether it's considered to be, you know, fully, in, in a technical sense, am I fully considered to be the owner? You're the renter. Uh, well, I don't know if I would say that. But the point about all of these is nobody is denying that you... That, that, let's put it this way. Nobody else can be the owner. That's certainly true. Okay? And you start fundamentally as the owner, but in some technical way, there's a lack of you being considered like somehow fully the owner. It's not fully considered to be an object of value or it's considered somehow God, Mamon. But again, it is a good point that nobody is denying the need of Lachem. The other interesting thing to underscore since you bring up the Lachem point is is that therefore all of this would only be an issue on Yant of Rishon if it's all rooted in the Lachem idea. And again, that's why Rambam says the issue about being able to eat it is a seven-day issue because it's about being defined as a fruit. But if all of these ownership and the dimamon, the technical value aspect and the ability to eat are aspects of defining ownership, then all of this is only problems on the first day. Okay, so let's now continue. So Moshe says like this, Gufa. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm now we're going to look at this issue assuming that there is this din of din mamon okay so that we've already been discussing because whether it's considered yours or God's property let's say you have dough that you made out of Meister Shlaini flour in Yerushalayim you don't have to take It's not your dough. I'm sorry, did I skip a line? It's not yours. You are because it is yours. 
Isa Shamazar Shani, if you have a dough made out of Mazar Shani, the Divya Mir Pitur Minachal, because Remir is exempt because it's not yours. Okay. Maskifla Rapapa, Rapapa asked on this. Bishlema Isa, I get why the dough is also an aspect of ownership. The first of your possessive, your needing troughs. By Ezra, it says yours. Obviously, you need ownership. So this idea that it's considered God's, again, even though you have control over it and you eat it, that could be an exclusion according to Rebbe Meir. It has to be yours. It doesn't say your matzah. There's no possessive by matzah. So, I'm a rabbi bar Shmuel, v'yitema rabbi yamer bar Shamaya, asya lechem lechem. It's a gzera shava bread bread. Ksivacha lechem oni, poor person's bread. The Ksivacham, it says over there, Dayabach lechem, lechem aorex, by challah. So the same way, Malahala mishalachem, the same way the bread of the challah has to be yours, the lo mishal maaser. Avka mishalachem, the lo mishal maaser. Here too, it is the same, yours and not maaser's. So the Gemara says, Lema misayayale, let's try to bring a proof to this. Yisa, by the way, I just do want to stop for a moment and notice the somewhat significant, possible significance of the difference of Lachem by, uh, by, by Sukkot and not by, by Pesach. Right? Because Sukkot we also had Chagos goes Tassel Lucha. Right? Lucha Limutek Zula. Lachem is Limutek Zula. And the whole idea, by the way, of Sukkah, right? remember Rabbi Eliezer, you have to dwell in it, you know, for, for, for the whole seven days, 14 meals, you can't use somebody else's Sukkah. Even the Chachamim that disagree, the idea of Sukkot is much more this idea of ownership and rootedness. Your house, right, according to the Rashbam, the whole reason you take the Arba Minim is because you're going to grow and it's going to be the time you gather in all of your fruit from the field, the Asachem, you gather in everything and you want to rejoice and say thanks to God, so you take these Arba Minim to thank God for all of your prosperity. So Sukkot very much has this idea of your rootedness in the land, your ownership, your house, and then sort of recognizing God and thanking God within that context. Whereas Pesach is all about leaving Mitzrayim and going out into the wilderness, right? And it's all about this sort of non-ownership uh, state and sort of recognizing almost the sort of collective rather than the individual. So it is actually interesting to think about the fact that the Lecha comes twice by Sukkot, right? Chagos goes, Tasel Lecha, Lechachem Lachem. And the Gemara here says, it doesn't say Masachem anywhere. There's no concept of this ownership doesn't get underscored anywhere by Pesach. Uh, not clear. This is according to this is according to this uh, to who it is to uh, Rabbi Asi. Yeah. Okay, not clear if we actually rule that way. All right, but this Rabbi Asi now tries to demand a lachem aspect by masa. Right. It's worth noting that it did not start that way. Yes. It's, it's an interesting contrast because uh, the Sukkot is related to Pesach. What? The idea of Sukkot. Oh, because Basukot Hoshafti Bosio Tamer and Tzrayim. Right. So there are those obviously different elements, but clearly there's also an element of a Sukkot, which is, you know, you know, this is the point that the Rashbam underscores, you know, you know, your, your prosperity, your, you know, your sense of being secure in your home, in the land, and you go out of your home into the Sukkah to recognize God's hand. So there is that issue about Pesach is, you know, a lot of Sukkot situates you after you've come into the land and settled in the land, whereas Pesach is very much situating you at the moment of leaving Yitzrayim. Um, okay. Um, so, but we are making a Gzeir Shava. 
let's try to bring a proof. We have a writer that says the following. There's the debate by the, uh, by the issue about the dough and chala. Exactly this debate of Rameir and the Chachanin. So the Lehman says, maybe I'll bring a proof. He, he, that's exactly what we said. So maybe it's a proof. Clearly they debate the issue of Chala. The question is, do they also debate the issue of Esrog and of Matzah? Okay, so, Odioma, Shani Isa, maybe the dough case is different. Twice it says in the verse, you're needing cross. So there, there's an idea of full ownership. But maybe, number one, as we already pointed out, Matzah, maybe we don't need it at all. It never says Matzah that's the most tenuous. And even by Esra, we saw it was debated whether there's this issue of Din Mamon in addition to Heterachila. And maybe because, maybe just because it says Lachem, so it's enough Lachem, you're able to eat it, you have control over it. That technically it matters that it's considered Mamon Gavoa, maybe that's only a problem by Chala, not by these things. And that's exactly what we're debating. So again, though answering your point, obviously everybody agrees you need Lachem by Esra, but that we should interpret Lachem so much that even if in practice you eat it, you control it, you know, you, you know nobody else is allowed to get it, is it also a problem that technically, according to Rebbe Meir, it's Mamon Gavoa, that's not so clear. That's the issue here. Is, can I read this again? That because the Gemara ends on this note, clearly it's telling me that the halacha is not applicable by Masa? No. <laughs> no, I mean, the Gemara, you know. Take again. Yeah, but the Gemara, as, as I've often said, the Gemara. Is, is, is only very, very tangentially interested in, in discussing what the halacha is. So, you know, it's left to the Rishonim to try to figure it out and infer it. And that's why there's often a lot of debate. Okay. So, Tumat Meyapsula, now that we've established that there are these two criteria, everybody agrees you have to be able to eat it, and maybe also a technical issue of, you know, of even in the fullest technical way being the owner, we're going to go through the Mishnah and identify what the problems are. Obviously, most of the problems in the Mishnah you, uh, are, you achieve, uh, you know, are in the category that you can't eat it. You can't eat Trumat Don't trade Trumat Now that we have to figure out. So why not with Chachila? Because you can eat Trumat Now by the way, even if you're not a Kohen, you're Yotze, because it is edible by a Jew. A Kohen can eat it. Which, by the way, works out very nicely according to the Rambam, because if the idea of being edible make, is the definition of me being the owner, why do I care that a Kohen can eat it? I can't eat it. So if, if the idea of being able to eat it defines my ownership relationship, where does that happen by Torah? But if the idea is that it has to be edible to be considered a fruit, then it's fine as long as somebody's able to eat it. So Tosvos, in order to answer that question, says, yes, but I can still give it to my friend the Kohen to eat it, and therefore, since I can still control who eats it, or give it to a grandson who's a Kohen, even if I'm not a Kohen, maybe my daughter married a Kohen, that therefore is enough to be considered the owner that I'm still in control of that. Okay, but again, it's a little bit interesting that I don't have to be the one to be able to eat it. So, but let's figure out why L'Chathchila you're not supposed to take it. So because when you take the esrog and you take it together with the lulav and the lulav you've been putting in water to keep it fresh 
so there's water dripping on the lulav and we find that out in a later Mishnah that they would put the lulav in water so then it's going to make the esrog susceptible to becoming tamay right when, there's, when a fruit is picked and, and it comes in contact with water after it's picked or any food comes in contact with water after it's been defined as a food that's when it becomes susceptible for tumma. so you want to protect the truma from becoming tamay but you, the best way to protect it right the best way to keep your diet is not to buy the ice cream in the first place not to put it in the freezer and try not to eat it so the best way to protect it is preventing it from being susceptible for tumma. so if you so that's why you shouldn't take it because you'll get it in contact with water alright so um, the other one says no the fact that you're taking it every day of sukkahs and you're handling it means you're rubbing away at the rind and you're causing some waste to something that is truma so my binai, what would be an, a difference? So the easiest difference is that the esrog already had become susceptible, had already been in contact with water. But the Gemara is going to give a, a more complicated dif- way of, a, a sort of test case. My binai, what would be a difference? You took this esrog. How did you make it truma? Because you had a whole box of esrogim, and this esrog you took, and you said, I'm making this esrog truma, but you know which part of making truma? Only the meat on the inside, not the rind. The rind isn't truma. Only the inside of it is truma. You can do that, okay? Because you get to define which part of all of your stuff is truma. So therefore, if you wear away the rind, you're not wasting any truma, because only the mint middle is truma. I, I took up secretion. Was, I can't pick up the rind only without also using the truma that's on the inside. You're not, so what? But meaning... When you first made a truma, you said only the middle, not the rind. It means when I come to give it to the Kohen, I'll say to the Kohen, here's your truma, remember to give me back the rind. The rind is still mine. I only gave you, I only made truma the middle part of it. So now you have an esrog that the middle part is truma, the outer part is not. So there's no concern of wearing away the outer part, because the outer part isn't truma. There's no concern using truma. No. As long as you're not being mafsed it, okay? So, if the concern is you're making it susceptible for being tamei, that's still a problem because it's still coming in contact with water and, the, and then if the outer rind becomes tamei, you don't say, oh, the outer rind became tamei. If tuma touches, water touches the outer part of it, it's all susceptible. Tuma touches the outer part of it, it's all tamei. So, Ika, it's still a problem. The issue is wasting it. Leka, it's not a problem because the rind is not truma. Okay. You took it as kasher. You're able to eat it. Again, even if you're not able to eat it, somebody is able to eat it. So, according to the Rambam, that makes it fruit. And according to the other approach of ownership, the fact that you can give it to someone to eat is enough to make it defined as you own it. And this issue is not only eating, but as we said before, but also technical issue of monetary, um, uh, you know, of, of, of full monetary ownership. <laughs> so you're a full monetary owner of the, of the uh, truma, and it is not a problem. Of course, an interesting question would be, what if you took truma before you gave it to the Kohen? Right? There you are considered to be not really the owner of the truma. You have the right to decide who gets it, but you are not the uh, owner. Like there's a scenario where Yisrael could have truma that I gave truma to the Kohen and then the Kohen gave it to Yisrael. Then he's the full owner of the truma. He can't eat it, but he's the full owner. But then there's a scenario where I took the truma from my, all of my Yisrael, and this I took, and I haven't yet given it to a Kohen. 
So there, I'm not the owner, but I do own it enough to decide who gets it. Exactly. Would that be considered enough for the Din Mamon? That is not being explored by the Gemara. Okay? So, uh, that is an interesting question. That, I think it would be very questionable whether or not you would uh, be considered to be enough of the Lachem of the owner. That's not, that's not a technical problem. There, you really aren't the owner. You have a right to give it to somebody, but you really aren't the owner. That could be a real issue. Okay. Moving on. Um, the Rishel Demai um, Demai um, is a debate of Beit Hillel Beit Shammai Beit Hillel says you're Yotze Bidyeved okay so my time is the Beit Hillel what's Beit Hillel's reasoning that Bidyeved you're Yotze Lechatchila not because it's sort of like Tevel and the same way you're not Yotze with Tevel because you can't eat you're not Yotze with Demai but why Bidyeved yes so Kivendi by Mafkilu Nichse by the Ani Vichazile, you could renounce ownership of your property and become a poor person, and then you'd be allowed to eat demai because the poor people are allowed to eat demai. It's a rabbinic requirement, and the rabbis waive the requirement for the poor. So Hashanami Lachem Tarinambe. Therefore, here it's still considered to be yours. Now, by the way, as Tosos points out, you really don't need that reason because it's like truma. As long as there's somebody that can eat the demai, I could give it to a poor person. Even if I can't, that should be enough to be considered heterachila. And I certainly own it, right? Because I just take trumas and mices and then I can eat the rest. So Tosu says, actually, it's a Gemara sort of making an overstatement. You don't really need to say, I could be able to eat it. It could be that somebody can eat it, like the truma, and that's enough. And I certainly am the owner of it. And therefore, that's enough. Okay, Nan, we taught in the Mishnah, you can feed the Anim Demai, that's Achsanya Demai, and the Achsanya, Achsanya often means like a guest, but here it's explained to be sort of like troops that you're quartering. So you're allowed to give them, you know, the, this stuff, and you're not, it's, like you're, it's not like you're feeding them Isser. Now that's why you're allowed to give them, how are they allowed to eat it? So obviously the inference is that an Ani is allowed to eat Demai. Um, so what would Beit Shammai's response be? Ani lo achil demai. An ani isn't allowed to eat demai according to Beit Shammai. Now we turn to Mishnah. Machili mefanim demai v'sasanya demai. So you you can feed the poor people demai and the uh, quartered troops demai. You're not allowed to. So therefore, that's Beit Shammai's reason. He says that the Mai is not edible in its current state, and therefore it does not have a Heser Achila. Is it possible it becomes mutter or it's a type of like Yeshua Eva or Shatzah type of No, the understanding is the under- soldiers. Well, soldiers isn't just Western. Jewish soldiers are not Jewish soldiers. Right. If, it's, if it's not Jewish soldiers, what's the Chiddush? The Chiddush might just be that it's not considered like for you like a, you know, about an Isser Hana'ah that you are getting benefit from feeding them and so on. Uh, but by the Anim it says even if they're Jewish and therefore you have to say that Chazal did not require. One way, conceptual way of explaining this is is that the Mai is an obligation to be Mafish to Mai but it's not like they turned the Mai into Macholos Asuros. Right? So we never feel like, oh well, since let's say chicken and milk is only a Durabhanan so poor people can eat chicken and milk if I have some of that around, right? So, it's specifically an issue here, which is seen as, demai is something inherent to it. It's, it's rabbinic, but it's also rabbinic with a certain, you know, weakness to it, like, it, like the, an understanding that it might actually already be okay. So, therefore, it's understood like you have an obligation to be mafrish, but it's not so much that it's, as we would say in Lundus language, the cheftza macholos asuros, and therefore they waive the requirement, you know, by the poor, yes. There's also a possibility you can see some demise, but they have to tithe it. Um, no, then there's no chiddush. 
Yeah. Then there's no Kiddush. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Now, so Maestro Sheni B'Yushalayim, Maestro Sheni in Yushalayim, the Mishnah goes on, you are Yosei. So this we've already looked at. Oh, but first, why are you not allowed to do it L'Chathchila? So don't do it L'Chathchila because you might, again, if there's a concern of getting it susceptible for Tum'ah, that's a concern here as well. Same way you can't get your Truma Tamei. You're not allowed to get your Maeser Sheni Tamei. Okay? If the concern is that you waste it because it's no longer, you know, the rind and whatever and stuff you otherwise would have, uh, made, you know, used, uh, you know, you, you would have used in another way now gets destroyed. So, Harei Masida, same problem here. So, whatever the Lichatchila is by Truma, the same types of Lichatchila problems exist by the Maeser Sheni. But if you did take it, your Yotze, so that, as, as, as we said, So if the concern is that you need to be able to eat it, so everybody would explain why, you, that, if that's the only issue, being able to eat it, so then, of course, you're Yotze, even according to Rebbe Meir, with Meister Shani, because all you need is the ability to be able to eat it. The one that says it's not enough to be able to eat it. You also need to have a full technical ownership over it. So, Hamani Rabbanim, it's the rabbis that argue on Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Meir would say, you're not Yotze, it's God's property. But according to the Chamin, you are Yotze, because Chamin say it's your property. So everybody would explain that, that could agree to the Mishnah that you're Yotze, Meister Shani, Yerushalayim, because there certainly is at least the rabbis who say that it's your property. The only question is, according to Rebbe Meir, would Rebbe Meir agree? And that's the issue, whether you need to have full technical monetary ownership, or is it sufficient that you're able to eat it? So that was a whole sort of self-contained sugya where we worked through those two categories of Din Mamon and Heterachila. And now we shift our attention to the second part of the Mishnah, which is really, I mean, the Mishnah is really comp- different sections. There's the first, the traditional opening, Gazul, Yavesh, etc. Yerinidachas, Asherah. Then there's this new section about because it's a fruit, talking about whether you're able to eat it or not. And now we move to the final section, which is particular aesthetic aspects. Okay, so let's take a look. Also, Chazazit. So if a wart went on the majority over it, it's not good. On a minority, it's okay. And this next Gemara is going to sound familiar to a, to a type of Gemara we had before by the berries of the Hadat. Amra Chizda. Rav Chizda says, Davar Zer Rabbeinu HaKadol Amro. Our great rabbi said it, which Rashi says is Rav. HaMakom Yehei Bezro. God should be by his side. Lo Shanu Elibu Makom Echa. When is the problem of the wart in one, a majority of the Esrog? If it's all collected in one place. If it's spread it over two or three places, even though they co- it covers the majority, kasher, that's okay. So Amalei Rava, so Rava said, Ah, the Rava, the opposite makes sense. It's more of a problem if it's spread over two or three places. It looks spotted. It looks bigger, like uh, it's all over it. So, and it, it should be invalid. So, Eli Mar Asafidmer, fine. You're right. This issue of centralized or spread out was not said at the first case, which was the case about the majority. That's a problem regardless. It was said on the second part of the Mishnah, when it's a minority, it's kasher. Al miuto kasher, the end of the Mishnah says, if this word is on a minority, it's kosher. Rav said this, and God should be by his side. When is it okay that if it's on a minority of the Esrog, it's kasher? That's if it is on, in one location. In two or three places, it's spotted and down. So that then becomes, now what started off as a leniency becomes a big chumrah. Any two or three warts, now this isn't spots, 
Chazazit is like a wart. Have people ever seen esrogs with these like absor- you know unusual growths like they're essentially you know so anyway those types of warts in two or three places or two really becomes two or three but two is already invalid. De'ama Rava and Rava also says the Al-Chotamo, if it's on the Chotam, the nose, literally, meaning the upper incline of the Esro, Rafi basically says it's where, you know, the Esro sort of has like a fixed central body and then it starts sloping. So Rafi says the Chotemet is the uh, part where it begins to slope upwards. Okay, literally the nose. Even a little bit is invalid. Uh, and this then becomes an issue because it's very visible. And this then becomes the issue of a little bit of how little. Like, you know, you know, you know people, they're very, very mockbeat, even the tiniest little black dot, certainly if it's directly under the pitham, but really anywhere to, in the top third, they say, they look for a tiny little. So that's based on this hypersensitivity at the place of the chotamo, the upward slope. Although the Gemara is talking about a chazazit, and most people get worried, uh, you know, if you're worried, they tend to be worried even about a little black dot. Okay, but that is, uh, but that's certainly where some of that concern comes from. Let's read one more line. No, do we have one more minute? We, I think yeah. we have one minute. Nato yeah. pitanto, if the pitomet is removed, the pitam, tan reb nato buchanto. So to make it clear what the pitam is, he describes it as the buchan. Now the buchna is a pestle. Is that, what's the one that you bang? The mortar or the pestle? Pestle. The pestle. So if, so if the pestle, if you think, look what a pestle looks like, right? A pestle looks like sort of like this and like this, right? Because you hold it and then it's got this bulbous top to bang with. So that's actually what a pitam looks like. So he's describing the pitam, you should know which end, and he flip it, right? Is, 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 the, is the pestle. Now, I will say that there are some Rishonim that actually act, identify the pitam as the opposite end. As the, um, as the, as the um, pe- what do you call it? The, uh, um, the stem, okay. the stem, the stem. So what's the difference between that and the statement in the Gemara where it says if the ochus is removed, it's okay? Because what they say is, if you think about how something exists in, an, in a thing, it's got like a part that sort of goes in, right? And then, right? And then it's got like, you know, it's got like this twig that comes out, right? But, you know, but it's got a part that's sort of like in, right? It's sort of like, I don't know, it's like a sort of star thing, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, so they say the ochus is the part that's external. The pitum, he'll say, is the part that's sort of inside of the fruit. And that this is the pitum, and that that's what it means when you remove the pitum is invalid. We obviously do not pass in that way. We pass in the pitum is the other end, and, you know, that obviously makes the most sense in terms of this idea of, um, of uh, thinking about it as a pestle. I'll just end by pointing your, bringing your attention to one interesting Rashi, by the way, when the Gemara says that truma was heterachila, right, and I said because a Kohen can eat it, if you look at the Rashi, he says, I don't know where to tell you it is. Anyway, at the end of that Rashi says, um, he says, some, apparently there was somebody who explained the reason Truma has a hetrachila is because you could redeem Truma and eat it, which is completely false, huh? right? So only Cohen can eat it. So Rashi says, Our opinion ain't la leos ni teres la achilas Yisrael, but Omer Cain Russia who. So I thought that was quite fascinating. It's not just a wrong interpretation. You're going to be machshio people. You're going to make people think you can eat Truma if you redeem it. So apparently there was that interpretation that was completely false. But I like that line in Rashi. Omer Cain Russia who. Okay, we'll end with that lovely thought for today. <laughs>